course, is the third patriarch. Uh, it was Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. And so we've been with Jacob now for several weeks. And uh, once again today, we see some interesting things take place as he's making his way uh, back home after being 20 years away. And so verse 1 now, as Jacob went on his way, the angel of God met him. And Jacob said, when he saw him, this is God's camp. And so he named that place Mahanam. And then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau, to the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Then you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent uh, to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We, come, we came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. And then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camel into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I have crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. And so he says, Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he will come and attack me and the mothers with their children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sands of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. Growing up in a, a family of boys, there were four of us boys and no dad. We were broken home. Um, you've heard me talk about my growing up before. Um, there were interesting times. Let me tell you, that's all you need to know. If there's a house full of boys and just a mom, there's going to be a, a handful. There were fights. There were run-ins with neighbor. There were broken windows, both in homes and cars. Uh, there were broken bones. There were cut and stitches. There was a house fire at one time. I had nothing to do with that. I, I, I didn't, honest, okay. Uh, there were parent-principal meetings. I might have had a lot to do with that. And there were suspension from schools, and I may have had something to do with that one. As we got older, there were car accidents and motorcycle accidents. There were a 2.30 a.m. visit to girlfriends that ended up in the backseat of a police car. I might have been involved with that one. And there was even jail time, and I might have been involved with that time. I remember uh, not too long ago, my son was working at a Starbucks and um, somebody had came in and uh, they knew me. And I can't remember how the conversation got to this point, but they found out that he was a Vincent and he kind of told them who he was. And he said, oh, do you know my dad or the Vincents? And they, these people said, oh, yeah, we, we know the Vincent boys. That was their response. And, you know, we're just being true to the saying that boys will be boys okay and so among the things attached to such events growing up there was the need for reconciliation in our home amongst us brothers and and with those we offended and I think for the most part we did uh, make sure that that took place uh, but brothers are interesting brothers can be at odds with each other one moment and the next moment you'd never know there was anything wrong and so most of us um, have our own stories don't we of growing up, of those type of situations, and really our own stories of the need for reconciliation. Um, and really, can anybody grow up um, 
or even exist as an adult without that need. And so as we come to Jacob now heading home uh, after being away 20 years, the, the need for reconciliation is very much a part of the story. You could actually give the theme of chapter 32 and 33 is the theme of the reconciliation of Jacob and Esau. And, and while the definition of reconciliation on one sense can be so simply stated as the process of two who are at odds becoming one, or you could say hostility and alienation change to relationships of peace and fellowship, the process of reconciliation, especially for us adults, is anything but simple. And oftentimes it isn't achieved. And so that's a sad note. The good news is with Jacob and Esau it was, and so they had gone from hostility. Remember Jacob stole his brother's birthright, his brother's blessing. Um, the hostility, uh, uh, Esau saying, when dad dies, you're dead. I'm coming after you. The alienation is Jacob fled as his mom told him, get out of here. Little did she know that it'd be 20 years and she would never see him again. Um, but as Jacob now heads back, they'll then put aside those things that divided them. And they'll once again really be able to show love and acceptance and forgiveness. The very things I believe the brothers once had in their lives. And so as reconciliation is something that affects us, then it's something that we could tune in today. And so I'm going to give you some things. I'm going to actually give you seven things that you can note about reconciliation. And it's not exhaustive. I'm just taking them out of the passage. So there's other things that you could come up with that would be good in reconciliation too. But I'm going to show you seven things that come out of this passage. And uh, if you'll take note of them, I think you'll find them useful in the future. Now, Jacob was told by the Lord... Chapter 31, last week, verses 3 and verses 12 through 13, to go back home. It was time. You spent 20 years. You worked 14 years for your wives. Um, uh, really, he just wanted Rachel, and uh, it turned out he had to get, work twice for Leah and Rachel. He worked another six years, but God had come to him and said, you know, go home. That first obstacle was Laban, okay, who took advantage of him. He changed his wages 10 times at least, wasn't happy that he was now going. He was probably the hardest working person he had ever seen, ever had in his family. But they worked it out. Remember, he chased him down last week. They entered into this covenant. They both went their ways. And Laban vanishes from the pages of Scripture from that point on. After Laban left, Jacob once again then had an encounter, verse 1, with angels. And so this is something we've seen now for several weeks in a row. And he named that place then Mahanaim, uh, which means double camp or double host uh, for the angels uh, were with Jacob. And the idea is they were w before him and after him. So he's being surrounded by the Lord, if you will, as he makes his way back home. Now, knowing Esau was ahead of him, and isn't it interesting that we didn't hear anything of Esau while he was away for 20 years, but now that he's headed back, all of a sudden that he's very mindful of what he left 20 years ago. And it's going to come face to face with him. And so knowing how they left things, Jacob then will send this greeting party ahead to his brother that he can kind of get a sense of where are things at? Is the tension still just as high or even higher? Or is it somewhere in between or is it gone? And so verses four, he says when he sends these parties out, you'll say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban. And stayed until now, I have oxen and donkey and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent 
to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. And so Jacob is seeking right there the favor of Esau. And by mentioning his possessions, it really, I think he's saying is, and brother, I want to bless you. God has blessed me. I have much and I'm willing to bless you. And so they found him. But the only information that they bring back, uh, they find Esau, is that he's coming to meet you. And a little side note, there are 400 men with him. (laughs) Now that I don't think is what Jacob wanted to hear. Um, It's interesting what Jacob was, he's trying to test the waters and he's not getting any feedback, is he? The, the guys come back and don't say, well, he's got 400 men and we ask him about this, but everything's fine. He just can't wait to see you again. No, there's none of that. It's just almost like the guys that went to deliver the message. Once they saw Esau and the 400 men, all they thought was, okay, we see him. We found him. Let's get out of here. And so they head back home and this is what they, they tell uh, Jacob. And again, it's interesting. Um, the 400 men, some interpreted as that revenge was very much on Esau's mind. I don't think it was, now, but I can't really prove that from Scripture either, so I should be careful when I say that. But I don't really think it was. In those days, um, remember, it was more about tribes than nations at this point in the world, and especially in that area. And so the 400 men speak of that need to defend oneself in those type of times, and it would have been quite normal. And so it's just that Esau had these men. I'm sure Esau had uh, wives. We know he had wives, so there, there were probably many more people. Um, but as he makes this move, uh, probably in an area where there could be some threats, he takes these men with him. And, and what Jacob was hoping for, again, was information that would let him know where his brother was at on that revenge meter. And by Jacob's response, it would seem that once he saw the 400, that was all they saw. And they concluded the meter is still off the chart that were history, but that was the wrong conclusion. And so for now it caused Jacob then, verse 7, look at it to be greatly afraid and distressed. And see, I love the word, don't you? Because all of a sudden we're reading this, this ancient history, this ancient account, but now all of a sudden it comes right to the year 2007 because we very much understand what it is to be greatly afraid and distressed. And so this is the first thing I want to show you Um, as we look at some of the things about reconciliation, is that when seeking reconciliation, be careful you don't draw the wrong conclusion because of limited information or from because you're getting it from a second party. And that's really what's going on here. You know, it's easy to do. We've all done it. But it it can lead to the wrong conclusion and it can either prevent or hinder reconciliation. And so that's what Jacob does. Jacob just gets word. There's 400 men. He's on his way to you. And, and so, you know, maybe Jacob thought the servants were going to go all the way down to Sierra to get Esau. But then he finds out, guess what? He's got word that you're headed this way and he's coming towards you. See, and again, I think it's an important thing because we've all done that. Have we not been afraid at times? We've been distressed at times. And because of that, we have drawn the wrong conclusion because we don't have all the information. And or we get it because we're getting it from a second party. Well, Jacob, greatly afraid and distressed, and we'll see how much in just a minute, he divides then the herd, the flocks, and the people into two. And Jacob, again, if you were living in these days, this is a practice that you would have known of, you maybe even done. Because when you were about to encounter somebody and you weren't sure what their intentions were, you would divide your belongings in this way so that if they attacked the first group, 
The second group would be a distance away and they could flee and all your possessions wouldn't be gone. And so that's what Jacob was doing. Well, then he prays and and now we get a sense of just how afraid and distressed he is. Look at it again, verse 9. I like it, how he goes. He says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. He says, I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan and now I become two companies. And so then he really now gets into the prayer. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he will come and attack me and the mothers with their children. For you said, I surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. And so notice the elements of the prayer. First of all, he mentions Abraham and Isaac. Not bad. He's family, right? And sometimes we drop names, drop information. That's what he's doing, you know. Um, that God had done powerful things for Abraham, powerful things for Isaac. Actually, God had done powerful things for Jacob already, but that's what he does. Then he says, Lord, remember, as he prays, I'm only doing now what you told me to do. You're the one that came to me and said, it's time to go back. And so he reminds the Lord of that, too. Um, He throws in the prosper part. You know, Lord, you said, if I go back, I will prosper. And again, he says that because death and prosperity don't necessarily go together, do they? So he's saying, Lord, if Esau kills me, then the part that you're going to prosper me isn't going to come true. Okay? He mentions he's unworthy. It's an awesome part when he says, I'm unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. And boy, all of us could pray that prayer at any time, Lord. We're unworthy of your loving kindness and your faithfulness, see? And then when he says, with my staff only have across the Jordan... He may have in mind that all he has is the Lord's provided or that, Lord, I have nothing. I'm not a fighter. I have nothing to fight with. I have no men to fight with. And then the mentioning again of now becoming two companies is like, Lord, you realize how serious the situation is. And then he gets to the prayer, the real heart, verse 11, with just those words, deliver me, I fear him. And that's the what and the why. Deliver me from my brother because I fear that he's coming to harm me. And then he finishes again with reminding God, you promised to prosper me. And he mentions, remember, Lord, the illustration about how my descendants will be like the sand on the seashore and you can't count them. So it's kind of a kind of a little bit of humor. You could read some humor into it. Um, but again, it's it's something you do. And, and that leads then to a second thing about reconciliation is when we are seeking to be reconciled, pray. You know, when you say that, it almost it's like, well, that's obvious, but it's obvious, but we need to be reminded of it. And so we want to pray about the situation. Remind yourself as you pray who God is, what he can do, what he has done, what his word says, what he has promised, if a promise applies and pray for a positive outcome. You know, I'm amazed in my own heart. I speak about myself and you could probably relate to this, too, of how so often when we get stressed out, and there's a situation coming or if there's a situation where reconciliation is needed and all of a sudden we 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 just look at the whole thing in just such a negative light. And, and that's really not what we should do. You know, we should look at it and pray for a positive outcome. I mean, that's what I do. You know, I don't pray when there's been a situation that I have to deal with. And God, I just pray that this whole thing will just blow apart totally worse than ever, Lord. And everybody will hate each other even more. And, you know, you don't pray that way at all. And so pray for that positive outcome. 
and, and then state your need clearly and honestly. And I see that when he says, deliver me, Lord, I'm afraid. And I love that about that. You know, it's not something we mention all the time. Us guys, we don't mention that a lot to each other. We don't walk around talking about our times of fear and, you know, being stressed out. And yet we all are at times. And I love that that honesty of Jacob when he says, deliver me, I'm afraid. And so spending the night in that location, verse 13, Jacob's purpose is to send a gift ahead to Esau and and obviously to show him that his intentions are for peace. He sends some 550 animals, you guys, female and male goats, ewes, rams, camels, cows, bulls, and female and male donkeys. And again, to you and I, city dwellers, we go not impressed. But let me tell you, in these days, that spoke of wealth, and that was quite a gift. Because why? Well, from that gift, I mean, man, could you imagine how if you took care of those animals and that herd, it would just start multiplying over and over and over again. And it was a, it was a means of great wealth. And so he sends them, and he sends them in nine groups, okay? If you didn't pick that up, you could look at it a bit earlier. But that's what he does. And so he's going to barrage Esau with these grouping of animals and the servants that are, are herding them along. And each time when asked, the servants then are to repeat verse 18 there. He says, these belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he is also behind. And so it's obvious what he's doing. He is trying to win Esau over. And so you could imagine if you're Esau, you have your 400 men behind you. You're traveling on some type of animal, probably camels, uh, whatever, donkeys. And all of a sudden, up ahead, you see a grouping of animals coming. And these servants say these words. You go a little farther and here's another grouping of animals and so on until all of a sudden nine different times this happens. And I think by that point, guess what? You'd be getting the message. Jacob wants peace with you. That's what he's trying to do. And so Jacob's hope was, look at verse 20. Um, He says, for he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And then after I'll see his face, perhaps he'll accept me. And so the present passed on before him while he himself spent the night in the camp. And so now he is going to stay behind. But on the way it goes, these 550 animals with the servants that's that's hurting and driving them. And they'll go ahead and meet uh, uh, Jacob. And so um, here's a third thing then about when we seek reconciliation is one then must move in that direction. A step in that direction is necessary. I wish like you do that sometimes when we have a falling out with somebody, we could just close our eyes and wake up in the morning and everything would be okay. That doesn't always happen. Matter of fact, most of the time it doesn't happen. And so it shows us as Jacob now is is taking a step. And it's interesting here, by the way, we don't get any information with Esau. But note this, Esau's on his way. See what I mean? In other words, it seems, I think it's safe to say, Esau is making a step towards reconciliation. Somehow he got word his brother's coming back. And Jacob is making a step as well. And that is a crucial thing in reconciliation. You've got to move in that direction. You know, it just doesn't happen. Okay. So you have to take that step. And that's what we see Jacob doing. And so verse 22, now he arose the same night and he took two wives and his two maids and his 11 children. He crossed the ford of the Jaybrook and he took them and he sent them across the stream and he sent across whatever he had. And so if you look at the map here 
On the right-hand side, of course, is the kind of the what we call the Israel, the Holy Lands. You can kind of see the Dead Sea, Sea of Galilee. They've just come from up to the north. It's not on this map. And they've come down where the circle is. Over to the left there, you can see I enlarged it. And they're in the area of now Penuel, and you can see the Jabuk River there. And so that's where he's at now. That's where all this will take place, where they'll meet each other face to face after 20 years. And so verse 24, then Jacob was left alone. So again, remember, they have gone ahead and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched a socket of his thigh. And so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he was wrestling with him. And then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with, striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. And so Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. And therefore to this day the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. And so as Jacob uh, thought about meeting his brother Esau, he withdraws to spend the night alone, to spend time alone, to pray, to think. Um, It shows us, one, the level of his distress and the concern that he's got with what's about to take place. But it's also not necessarily a bad thing, isn't it? On the one hand, sometimes to be alone with your thoughts can be the worst thing, right? But then again, the other way is it's not a bad thing as you press through and prevail and God then starts ministering to you. And anybody here besides me spent a sleepless night with your mind and you couldn't shut it off, you know? And sometimes God will speak to you during the night and give you a direction, give you a peace. Not too long ago, I was going through something. It was a reconciliation type situation within the fellowship. And it was a, several sleepless nights where, you know, you, you know you slept, but you really didn't feel like you slept. And I can remember, I think it was the second night that in the, late in the morning, God spoke very clearly to my heart and said, here's what I want you to do. Here's how to handle this situation. And man, it was incredible because what happened is all of a sudden this peace came right over it. My mind calmed down and I went right to sleep. And I did exactly what the Lord told me to do. And so this is what's going on. And Jacob is trying to, you know, work this thing out. And then what has to be one of the most interesting accounts in the Bible. Jacob spends the night wrestling with a man or really, I think he's wrestling with the Lord. And it's very interesting. If if you don't think that's an interesting passage, I don't know what would make it interesting to you. And so um, he does this. And in one sense, it is within the, the flow of these events But in another sense, it's really separate as it has to do with Jacob and his walk with the Lord. And so alone with his thoughts, as they say, Jacob encounters what verse 1 says. See it there? I mean, I'm sorry, verse 24 says, uh, a man wrestled with him. And yet verse 28 and verse 30 would seem to say it was God. And so there's really two views here, okay? I'm just going to share them with you. The first view is the the man identified there in verse 1 if you go to the cross-reference in Hosea 12:4, he's identified as an angel. And so some say that Jacob uh, encountered another angel and enters into this wrestling matches. 
The other side is really what he encounters is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And with the words where it says he's striven with God, verse 28, and seeing God face to face, verse 30. And so I tend to lean that it was Christ because Jacob basically believed it was God as well. And so if that's the case, what you have then is what we call an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. And and you should be used to that by now. We keep seeing these as we study the Bible. And what you need to remember is the incarnation when Christ was born in Bethlehem is when he took on the form of man. Okay, And so um, uh, he existed before them. The book of Genesis in the beginning when that we, we see what we refer to as the Trinity. It says, let us make man in our image. We believe at that point it's the Father, Son, and Spirit are together there. And so it's not odd if we understand that, that it's very possible Christ existing before his birth, then he could come and when, when there was a need to do this for whatever reason and make an appearance. And that's what it seems to be. Now, what they did was, it says, wrestle until daybreak. And again, if that doesn't seem odd that the Lord would wrestle with somebody, I just don't know what to tell you. And I'm not sure what to make of all this, really. Okay, this is when, as a Bible teacher, I just kind of go, I'll do my best, but let's all go, hmm, because it is interesting, you know. There is a thought that it really wasn't a physical wrestling, okay, um, in the sense that it was a real spiritual battle going on, a spiritual wrestling going on. And there is some, you know, I could see that. The, the, part of the problem is verse 31 says that when it's all over, guess who comes out limping? <laughs> Jacob, you know. And the Jews went on, and I understand Orthodox Jews to this day will not eat that section of the hip um, because of this. And so that is interesting too that if it was just, in a sense, a spiritual wrestling, then why does it say that? And again, you know, just it's one of those things that we'll have to just, you know, I'm not sure. And so this is what takes place. One thing we do know is this is really interesting. Uh, if he, he's wrestling with the Lord, it's going on all night. Notice, too, that the Lord touches the hip socket, verse 25, and dislocates him. While they're wrestling, verse 26, does that stop the wrestling match? doesn't stop it. And I actually came across the account of somebody, I was laughing first service, that somebody that got in an accident on a motorcycle, okay? And I don't want to hear anything from any of you if you, I just got a motorcycle, so I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear anything, okay? You just pray for me in my motorcycle, all right? But anyway, he, this guy got in a wreck, and it was a, this cross-country thing. It was this really incredible, enduring-type race, and he wiped out in the sand, believe it or not, and dislocated his shoulder and his hip. And the account he tells is that he didn't even feel the pain. And what I want to get at is maybe some of you have dislocated a shoulder, but I doubt if any of you have dislocated a hip. But he didn't even realize the pain of the shoulder because the pain of a hip dislocation, I guess, is so incredible that he didn't even feel the shoulder separation because of the pain he was in here. And so this is what, if this is a physical thing that's going on, and yet Jacob isn't going to give up. And, and what he wanted, notice verse 26, he wanted to be blessed. And I'm not sure if that just meant he wanted his relationship with Esau to be worked out, or it was the assurance that the blessing that God had made to Abraham and to Isaac, that I'll make you a great nation, I'll make your descendants like this, 
I'm not sure if that's really what he isn't asking for. And so maybe he's got it in his head. Maybe grandpa had said it and dad had said it. And now the Lord had said it to him. But now it was time. Lord, I've wrestled with this too many times. Granted, I'm freaked out right now. My brother's coming. We did not leave in a good way last time we saw each other. And he's coming. And my head is not in a good space right now, Lord. And I know there's a side of you you saying you're going to bless me. You're going to lead me. You're watching over me. You're sending angels to me. And yet in my heart, I'm really fearful and all this stuff. And Lord, I need this thing settled. I need to know. I need to be blessed. I need to understand what you have promised me and what has come in, is coming through my family. And so maybe that's what he's saying there and why he's not going to let go. And, and if you think of all that was on the line here, Jacob now being the one that the line of Christ would come through, if Esau was seeking revenge, which we know he's not, you'll see that in just a minute, but if Esau was and he killed Jacob, guess what? Plans over. And of course we go, well, God wouldn't allow that to happen. And of course it didn't happen. And so there, it really, in a sense, was a spiritual battle. There was a lot on the line right here with what was going on. And notice what it took, you guys. What did it take then for Jacob to finally um, let go, if you will? It took surrender. It took surrender of Jacob that the Lord might then rule in his life. And I, you see that when it talks about he changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Jacob means surplants. In other words, sneaking in there, taking something that isn't his, surplanting something. And that's what his name had mean. But now the Lord says, I'm going to change your name. Another reason why this is very likely the Lord as opposed to an angel, because it seems to me, I'm not saying a Lord couldn't tell an angel, go tell this person I'm going to change your name. But it seems more likely the Lord would take care of that himself. And so he says, I'm going to change your name to Israel. And Israel means strives with God or governed by God. And so now he's saying, Lord, bless me. Lord, I need your help. I need this once and for all settled in my life. And God says, you got it. You got it. You're no longer Jacob. Now you're Israel. In other words, more than a name, more than a name. Now you will be governed by me. See, and so it's interesting that even though he strived with the Lord, it was it was with a desire that the Lord might reign and not Jacob. And so it was a good striving. See, if we strive in our flesh, that's a horrible thing to do. If we strive in our flesh to bring about the things of the Lord, that's a horrible thing to do. But this type of striving, when you're wrestling with God in this type of prayer, was a good thing to do. And maybe the application for us is kind of two things. One, in the area of prevailing prayer. You know, not stopping until our prayers have been answered. As Jacob, he wouldn't let go even after the hip had been dislocated. And I, unfortunately, have to say, too often I stop too soon. You know, I pray... And it's painful. It's a hard situation. It's hard to pray. And then it gets harder. You know, the spiritual hip gets dislocated. And God's saying, come on, press through. Keep praying. Don't stop praying. And we stop praying. And see, this is a good word to you and I. That, you know, in the area of prevailing in our prayer, do that. Don't stop. Especially, you know, whatever area you could think of that it applies to. It applies to every area. But especially... In the air of reconciliation. And that's what's needed sometimes. 
We need to pray if we're going to be reconciled. But then sometimes, man, you've got to really keep praying to press it through all the way. And notice, too, that I think it says an application for us is remember that oftentimes prayer is a spiritual battle. It's a battle to start to pray. And it's a battle once you've entered into prayer. And so those are maybe a couple things that speak to us. And, you know, the Lord loves these kind of prayers. Luke 18, 7, will God not bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? And so it says the Lord will bring justice. He'll answer our prayer for those who what cry. And did you notice he says cry day and night? See, you ever gone to the Lord with something? And then all of a sudden you thought, I can't go again. You know, he's going to think I don't have faith, this and that. Yet a verse like that tells us that. Or how about Luke 18:1, where Jesus gave a parable and then he, he gave the parable to bring home the point that men ought to pray and not lose heart. See, so keep praying. And so here's a fourth thing. When seeking reconciliation, one has to have a humble heart. God has to re, has to reach into the situation and give one the attitude of Christ. And I think you see that when Jacob's name is changed and his life is now governed by God. That's humility. That's humbleness. That's what he's after. Granted, this is strange. This is an interesting few verses of Scripture. And it seems like, where is the humility? But this man is saying, I want this. I want you in my life. And, and that is so crucial. And you guys, listen. This is absolutely crucial in reconciliation. Humility. You do not know how many times as a pastor I've tried to help people be reconciled and there's a lack of humility either by both sides or one side and I'm learning in my old age I won't be involved with it because it just doesn't work. And I can't stress this enough. If there's going to be reconciliation there has to be a humbleness of heart. There has to be humility. There has to be literally God has reached into us and into the situation, and if you will, he's infusing Christ into us and Christ's heart and attitude into us. See, that's so important. It's absolutely crucial. It really is. Especially if it's going to be a reconciliation that God can honor and that God can can bless. So having this very important detour, then the account continues. Esau and Jacob now coming face to face. Look at verse uh, 1 of 33. Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. And so he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. And so I find a little bit of humor there in those words, and the 400 men with him. You kind of wonder if after all this, he just wouldn't have finally seen his brother and go, cool, Lord, they're gone. They're not there. But no, they're still there. And he says that, you know, he saw Jake Esau was coming in 400 men with him. Okay, and so verse two, he put the maids and their children in front and Leah and their children next and Rachel and Joseph last. But he himself passed on ahead of them and he bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And so he did what men should do. He went first. Did you think for a minute he's sending the wives and the kids and the animals ahead? See, I did, too. You got to get to the next verse. See, you rats, you know, he's like, oh, look at this guy, man, Jacob, you old conniver. But no, he does the right thing. See, God is governing this guy's life and he gets them all ready. He gets them in an order and you'll see that in just a minute. But then he goes ahead. He, he knew it was his battle and he would not run from it. Bowing seven times. Again, it's a cultural thing in those days. Um, it was to show Jacob's heart of respect to his brother. 
and but he doesn't want to that he doesn't want to continue fighting with his brother as he once had. And so verse 4, Then Esau ran to meet him, and he braced him, and he fell on his neck, and he kissed him, and they wept. What? What? Then Esau ran to meet him, and embraced him, and fell on his neck, and kissed him, and wept. He lifted his eyes, and he saw the women and the children, and said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children of whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids came near with their children, and they bowed down. Leah likewise came near with her children and they bowed down. And afterwards, Joseph came near with Rachel and they bowed down. And he said, what do you mean by all this company which I have met? And he said, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have be your own. But Jacob said, no, please. If now I have found favor in your sight, then take my present from my hand. For I see your face as one sees the face of God and you have received me favorably. Please take my gift, which has been brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, because I have plenty. And thus he urged him, and he took it. And so, thinking he was going to get clobbered by his brother and these 400 men, anything but that happened. Remember what I said? Sometimes we fear things and they don't come to pass, see? And so he, Esau, he sees Esau, his brother, and it says he runs to him, he braces him, he kisses him. And notice, together they wept. And so then Esau is introduced to the family. And you might want to mark verse 4. I think it's such a beautiful verse of Scripture. And those words there, the action words, the emotions of the words, the word ran, embraced, fell, kissed, wept. And I can tell you this much. When that kind of thing is present in the midst of people seeking to be reconciled, reconciliation will take place. Always, see? And notice what it says there. If you wonder, was it mutual? It's clear it was when it says that they both wept. So Jacob wasn't stoic and like, you know, you know. But God had been doing a work in these guys. Something had been going on that the Bible doesn't give us all the details for. And so God had been doing that work. and, And Jacob wanted peace. And we know Esau did too. And so Esau runs in this beautiful scene of brothers you know, embracing and, and really what are they doing? They're forgiving each other. They're moving on, aren't they, with the situation? And they're putting the most important thing where it should be. And so a fifth thing when seeking real reconciliation is oftentimes what we fear never comes to pass as Jacob's fear of his brother was unfounded, right? So he got it from misinformation or he misread into things, uh, thought the worst of things. But how often you and I face a situation where we're trying to reconcile something and the fear that we have never comes to pass. Been there? Raise your hand. Have you been there? Yeah, of course you have. See, we all do that. And don't ask me why. You know, what we should do is realize we have multiple events in our life that we could look back and see that God has worked. And if something happens in our brain, we just seem to forget that. And we instantly just think, oh, this is going to be bad, you know. But so often those things don't come to pass. And so at some point it would seem the Lord had been working on Esau's heart as well. Some say it was on the way. And they see that the 400 men was he was coming for revenge. You can't, I don't think you could really say it. The scriptures aren't clear with that. I think it really was just a tribe and the protecting thing and how they traveled in those days. But somewhere along the line, God had been working on Jacob's heart. God had been working on Esau's heart. And now they're coming together. And uh, 
And it was a beautiful thing. And so when and where it happened, we don't know. But the two that had been alienated, okay, and had had great hostility towards each other are now reconciling and at peace. And so the sixth thing that you see here is reconciliation is possible. It can happen. See, how hopeless it would be if we of all people in Christ did not have the hope that things can be reconciled. See, that is the hope that we have in Christ. And I want to be careful here. Now, just stay with me till I finish kind of this next line of thought here. I want to be careful, but at times it can happen. Not always, but it can happen without revisiting all, all the issues. And, and, and I think that's okay. And, and so maybe the 20 years had had its effect. It did. It, it had to have its effect. And so for Jacob and Esau, because they both wanted it, it happened. And notice, they didn't have to go line by line and issue by issue. And sometimes, guess what? Reconciliation happens that way. It's kind of a nice thing, isn't it? It happens that way when both people are willing to say, I made my mistakes, and I'm wrong. And I see that. And it's just something gets said without even having to say anything, see? And I think, a sh- I think that shows us something important that's going on here is there really is love, acceptance, and forgiveness taking place in this situation. The past was the past, and now they were seeing what was the important thing. You guys, this is so important, isn't it? We're all guilty of, of making a petty thing become this mountain, or even if it was a mountain, you know, we we decide we're going to add more cubic yards of fill to the thing and we're going to make it even a bigger mountain, you know, and we're all guilty of that. And Lord, help us and Lord, be gracious enough to us when that is happening to show us this isn't as important as, you know, the relationship and and the reconciliation that God wants to take place here. And And so I wouldn't say... It always happens this way, or it should always happen that way. I think there's something to be said that you and I need to see the mistakes that we make. And sometimes we need other people to show us that. I didn't hear one amen on that one. (laughs) You know, I was telling somebody just recently that one of the most painful things that has happened in my life, and you you can relate to this, is when somebody comes to me And in a sense, you know, I don't like it when they say, I need to rebuke you. Oh, gee, do you have to say it that way? You know, but they come in a sense, that's what they're doing. And they point something out to me. And, oh, it's painful. You know, you're just like, oh, you know. But one thing I've learned, and trust me, I haven't known this all my life, but I think now for several years, I always try to take something from that. After the emotions can die down and my anger, if that's the case, whatever. And I say, okay, Lord, what do I need to see here? What is the truth in this thing? Are you trying to show me something? How can I grow from this thing? And let me tell you guys, it makes all the difference in the world. That is the direction of maturity. The direction of immaturity is being offended and defensive uh, when somebody comes and points something out to us. And granted, that's going to be there. But if you could learn to move beyond it, and once you can calm down a little bit from the situation and say, okay, Lord, what do I need to see here? I'll tell you, it's, a, it's an incredible thing. Because there's probably something we need to see. And so... It's kind of, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not saying it's going to always be one way. Sometimes nothing needs to be said. You don't need to revisit it because sometimes you do. But it's, you know, but it's just an interesting thing that that takes place. And so it it happened for Jacob and Esau. 
And sometimes it's better when you don't go line by line, but it doesn't always have it. And don't think for them to embrace each other as they did, that again, the Lord hadn't been doing his work. See, I think sometimes we make a mistake. And we think that we are the ones that need to point this out to that individual because they're missing it. But I think if we realize that Jacob had this incredible time of prayer, if we are praying about the situation, sometimes God will go before us and God is big enough to do that. You know, I don't need everybody in the world to point out my blemishes. Why? I'm aware of my blemishes. And guess what? God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, speaks to my heart as well. So we need to remember that, don't we? That God is doing a work in people's lives. And it's just encouraging to see that. And so sometimes uh, we think we might have to do it when in reality, what God is saying, can I have this situation? Can I deal with this? And so those are just some things for you to think about. But reconciliation can happen. Well, I'm not going to take time to finish the chapter out reading it. I'll tell you what happens is um, they reconcile. Um, They're going to head back and Esau... Jacob says, I can't travel with you. You're just with your men. You're on animals. You are traveling way too fast. I've got women and children and herds, and I need to go slower. And so Jacob will make his way uh, to Sukkoth, verse 17. And then between 17 and 18, there has to be a gap of time. And so he stays in Sukkoth for a while, but then he'll make his way um, down to the city of Shechem um, and enter into that area as well and builds an altar to the Lord. You could see there in verse 20. And so, again, let's look again real quick. I'm going to give you one more that I haven't given you yet about reconciliation. So what we've seen in this story is, first of all, don't draw the wrong conclusion because of limited information or you're hearing it through a second party. Important. Second of all, if reconciliation is needed, prayer is needed. Third, you must move in that direction. Okay? You've got to take a step. Four, one has to have a humble heart. Again, this is so important. This is what God wants in us. Fifth, oftentimes what we fear isn't going to come to pass. So don't fear, don't freak out like that. Six, it's possible it can happen. And then seven, this is what I want to give you. The last thing about reconciliation. Again, there's others. Reconciliation is to be like Christ. That's what we're about. We have come together this morning here at Calvary Chapel Linwood because of Jesus Christ. We've come here because we love him. We come here because we want to worship Him. We come here because of what He's done for our lives, what He's doing in our lives. We've come here because it's really about Him. And when we think of reconciliation, we've got to move beyond where we think it's about me and this individual. It's really about Jesus Christ and Him being glorified and Him being alive in my life and in my heart. So it's really reconciliation is all about Him. And so it's to have that, art, that attitude of and the heart filled with love and acceptance and forgiveness. And that is what is so crucial, see. All of us are guilty at times of having fallouts with people. And we might talk the talk of reconciliation, but the heart and the attitude of Jesus is nowhere to be found. And then our eyes get opened and really... When reconciliation takes place, it's because Jesus Christ is actually now coming through and being glorified. And so it's an interesting process, you guys. I wish I could tell you, you know, just do this and it'll be always easy. I wish I could tell you this morning, hey, you know, 
just give me a thousand dollars and you'll never have a need for reconciliation again. You know, not only would you not give me your thousand bucks, it's just not going to work. Okay, but the Lord is with us. And again, my heart is this. This is the Lord's heart. So it's interesting. We take this Old Testament passage so many years ago and man, this theme just comes flying out, doesn't it? Of Jacob and Esau, you know, and boy, they had it in for each other. You know, a mother's worst nightmare is when the boys are fighting and the one boy and he's dead serious says, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) You know, that's where these boys were at. And yet look where they're at now, embracing each other, crying together. Why? Because they knew being brothers and loving each other was what was the most important thing. So God will apply it to your life. Hopefully this was some insight for you. And, uh, Amen. Let's stand.